Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you, YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Kaylee and Josh. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, we've got Scott. He's a digital nomad and marketing professional that moved with his wife and his pets to Lisbon seven months ago and planned to stay for a year. Find out all about their new life and their new work-life balance, and if that year might last a lot longer. Stick around. Kaylee and Josh, hello. Hey, Dan, what's up? Hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Hey, I'm always interested about holidays in Portugal. This past week, we've been celebrating St. Patrick's Day here in Chicago. Any St. Patty's Day vibes there in Porto? Not really. However, we kind of brought our own vibes, didn't we? Yeah, there's a, there's a few bars that have stuff, obviously, like the pubs, the Irish pubs will have a little bit of something, but it's not anything that you know, to write home about, I guess. Yeah. So last year when we went out for St. Patrick's Day, we were at a bar where if you drank, it was either two or three Guinnesses, you would get a, like a hat that looked like a pint of Guinness. Sponsored by Guinness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like one of those cheap promotional hats. And, uh, you know, we've had it sitting around for a year and I I put it on, uh, to go out for St. Patrick's Day and walk past a couple that basically said something like, Oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Like they said that to each other in a different language. I could just pick up on the fact that they recognized my hat and St. Patrick's Day sounded the same. So it was kind of funny. Yeah, it's hard to actually tell who was out just because it's a Friday night or, you know, just out normally or who, you know, who was celebrating, I suppose. But right. we picked up a few more of those hats this year. We did. We did. <laughs> we gave them to all the kids. Uh, so we were out with a group that has, well, I guess we had six kids total that were there. Yeah. 
Yeah. They all got a hat. <laughs> nice. Not just because of us, though. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just our drinking of Guinness. I think it, th- this place was too Guinness, and you got a They were pretty liberal with it. They were with pretty it, liberal. Yeah. I would say this. I know it's cliche, but I love the old green beer, you know, just little food coloring <laughs> of the green beer. That's really hard to find uh, yeah. outside of the U.S. I think that's a U.S. thing. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe Ireland does it a little bit, but from our travels, it's been hard to find green beer. There was a place in Singapore where you could find it, like one place that we found. But they did it like all year around. Remember? I think they did. Yeah, it was yeah. like they had something that was actually like a green beer. That's right. Beer. You're right. It wasn't special. And then there was a place in South Korea. All right. Yeah. One of the one of the bars there, but it was like green food coloring in one of their cheap beers. Yeah. Like it wasn't a nice beer at all. Well, that's the. And South Korea's got terrible beer. <laughs> but enough. That's that. the typical thing. Uh, yeah. So there might have been a bar or two that did that, but you know. I love Guinness, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's got a special spot in my heart, too. So then how about Chicago? I bet they've got something really good there. Yeah, huge Irish population. Can you tell us about that? Uh, Yeah, man, it's always a party here in Chicago. We dye the river green, but let me tell you what happened. Do you remember, I believe it was episode five, we spoke with Jim and his story about how the Portuguese are so caring uh, and so good at connection. Yeah. He had a great example of getting on the metro in Porto. You know what? Let me yeah, here, yeah. Let me roll the tape. Okay. We're on the metro, and we're at the top of the escalator, and there's an old woman with a cane trying to navigate the escalator down. And a young woman coming up turned around and took her arm and went down the escalator with her. And at mm-hmm. the end of it, the older woman took the younger woman's hand and kissed it, and they went on their way. Mm. And just little things like that, the little touches, little symbols of warmth, symbols of connection, symbols of caring that, that are pervasive. And I know that happens, of course, in the United States. It's there. Mm-hmm. It just appears to be more obvious or more apparent somehow. Okay. So Saturday was the big St. Patrick's Day celebration here in Chicago last week. And I had to take the train across town. My wife was taking the kid to a birthday party, so they dropped me off at the train station. I hopped out of the car, and I'm walking over to the train station. This is to get on the the blue line, uh, the L, to get across town. And as I'm walking to the entrance, I'm about 20 yards away, when I see the horde of about 10 early 20-somethings this is right about 11, 30, 12 o'clock, right in the afternoon. And they're all dressed in their St. Patty's Day best. Green t-shirts, green beads, green jackets, and they're all carrying beers about to get on the train. <laughs> and I just thought, what a pain this train ride is about to become. <laughs> Standing at the top of the stairs was this old lady uh, who was carrying a large bag. And I thought, oh, no. Let me get over there. Let me grab that bag. These kids are going to just drive this old lady nuts or knock her over. And before I could get over there, one of the partiers took his beer, handed it to his buddy, grabbed the lady's bag, and carried it down the steps for her. Good on him. And it made me think of Jim. It made me think of Portugal. And it made me smile and feel good about my town and uh, some of the good vibes that we still get here in the U.S. So thank you, Jim, for the story. 
thank you to the St. Patrick's Day partiers that did a great job taking care of other people in our town and building up some good karma before they go out drinking for the day. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that, even though I'm not in Portugal at the moment, I still got some Portuguese vibes here on St. Patrick's Day. That is brilliant. Well, you never know. He could be a <laughs> descendant of Portuguese. Very possible. Very possible. He might have been a, a Silva. Okay, enough about me. What's been going on with you guys this week? Well, we have been inundated with just tasks getting ready before we come back to the States uh, for, for basically a month. Oh, wow. So we'll be back in the States for two, two, two and a half weeks, and then we'll cruise back from Florida to Barcelona. Very nice. So really, we're going to be out of Portugal for five weeks, yeah. and there's a ton to do before we do that. And we put in an offer on a property that we've been looking at, the offer was accepted. Hey! And there is just a lot of work and a lot of things that we have to do before we get the property. Oh, I'm sure. So the the, the clock is ticking because uh, in about a week and a half, we have to sign an official document and put down a very large deposit, 20%, that is non-refundable wow. under most circumstances. So it's a little nerve-wracking. And honestly, the clock was ticking before that. And then this just piled right on top. So we have a bunch of stuff that we want to get done you know, scheduling, production, shooting, all of that. And then now we have this as well. So just busy, busy, busy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the YouTube front, I mean, this ties into YouTube, I guess, is that um, we have had merch available with a company called Spring yeah, I've seen that. for a while. And we haven't really enjoyed the experience with them. At least it, it's been like the customer okay. experience, right? Like certain people have ordered things on there. And um, there were just delays in, in production and it whatnot. Inconsistencies too. Yeah. Kind of thing. So we have found a different company that we're going to work with and we're getting ready to launch that store. Nice. And even though that's not like a necessary thing to do right now, it's just, it's one of those things that's getting done and it needs to kind of get wrapped up before we uh, head over to the States. Because I don't know what our bandwidth is going to be like to to be doing work on on the, the websites and on YouTube. I know podcasts will still be able to do some stuff. Yeah. I mean, like with that one, it's one of those things where we've been needing to do it and wanting to do it and just been putting it off. So it's like, you just got to do it. <laughs> right. Right. And the reason I'm excited about switching over to that is because it, it will allow us to have digital assets that we can sell. So for example, I had an idea of doing like neighborhood walking Ooh. tours. And I know that this type of format wouldn't really work for YouTube, putting it on our main channel. But I think it'd be really cool to walk a neighborhood and for like a buck or two or, or maybe five bucks, I don't know, we haven't figured out pricing yet, uh, be able to make that available for people uh, to essentially go on a walking tour of a neighborhood. So if they don't have time to do it, they can purchase that neighborhood that they wanted to check out and, and get yeah, video footage, 30 minutes to an hour of me walking around the neighborhood and kind of showing it that way. I like that. That's a good idea. Well, producer Dan, this week Josh talked with Scott, but we got in touch with him through you. So can you tell us how you two met? So, yeah, I was actually introduced to Scott on Facebook by a mutual friend of ours. Uh, she saw that I was working on this show with you all, and she had a friend who lived in Portugal. And, yeah, I've known Genevieve and her family since I was in high school. And, man, Scott keeps good company. Oh, well, that's interesting. So you, you didn't really know him directly. No, not at all. But uh, Genevieve is great people. Her family are great people. And uh, if she says Scott's worth talking to, by all means, uh, I wanted to talk to him. Okay, cool. So 
One more reminder, listener, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email or a voice memo right to podcast at expatseverywhere.com. Yeah, we've already gotten some questions on the YouTube community tab and received some emails, but we would love to hear from other people. People are asking right now about rentals, but honestly, this can be about anything. This is wide open. Please feel free. Whatever questions that you have that you'd like us to answer, throw it at us in email or onto the YouTube community tab. Yeah, and then we'll just go ahead and do a podcast where we put all those together and we answer those in a long format kind of setting. For sure. And with that, we'll be back with Scott right after this. Worldpost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. WorldPost can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. <laughs> Amazon purchases. Amazon the purchases. US. <laughs> and you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. <laughs> She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dreams since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. Awesome, Scott. Well, so glad that you could um, be on the podcast with us today. And I'd really like to get an idea since you've moved pretty recently and you've, you've moved with a, a spouse and some animals and like to kind of dive in on what it's been like moving on the D7 as a, a non-retiree, yep. which I think now people are having to move here on the D8 visa, correct? Working, getting active income. So let's talk about being here working, active income, and everything. So when did you move? So we moved, uh, we officially moved May 5th of this past year of 2022. Yeah, yeah, let's dive into that. So how, how long was the journey leading up to it? So from end to end on the Portugal side, 
it actually wasn't nearly as long as as you might expect. I think it uh, we we officially started our application process in late January, and we were on the ground in Portugal at the beginning of May. Uh, but the lead up to all of that was literally years and months in the making because we had, you know, my wife and I had both have both always wanted to live abroad. I did a, a month long cultural exchange in Spain when I was in high school. And it just kind of set me off on this, uh, on this mentality of someday I'm going to live in Europe. Okay. So or, originally our plan, uh, was after our honeymoon a few years ago, we went to Spain and, and my wife said exactly the same thing on the way, on the way home. She's like, Oh my God, we, we have to move. Okay, let's do it. So our plan all along was actually to move to Spain and then COVID, you know, came and ruined our plans like everybody else's. And so as we were enduring lockdown, alongside everyone else okay well what are we going to do we're just going through our daily motions and uh and and working and whatnot and as things slowly started opening up we we decided that we wanted to continue uh working through our application so the long and short was the spanish application process was very long and quite literally a nightmare for us Mm. and during that time all of our friends kept asking when are you going to move and really, the only answer we could give them was when the Spanish government decides we're allowed to. And so I think people started getting a little tired of hearing the same thing. Like, we're prepping them for this idea that we're going to move abroad, and then it just never happened. So at mm-hmm. some point during that process, while we're waiting for Spain, a whole host of our friends came out of the woodwork. Like, even people that we would not ever accuse of being world travelers and said, listen, we know that you love Spain, but have you guys gone to Portugal or checked out Portugal? And we just sort of yeah. looked at each other and said, no. It, you know, I know Portugal exists. Um, it never crossed my mind to really look into it. So we looked at the uh, at the visa requirements like, oh, this is a good bit easier than what Spain wants. And my wife's like, all right, let's do it. She's like, I, I'm ready to move. I kind of wanted to see it first. I'm pretty spontaneous, but I don't know if I could handle a year or two in a place that I don't like. So we came over in October of 2021 for 10 days. And it was, you know, a little bit more than a scouting trip because we're both, you know, still working. And so we made it a working scouting trip where in the morning we would pick uh, a neighborhood throughout Lisbon um, to go and explore and see what it might feel like to to live there, what the energy is like, and then come back to the place that we were renting uh, in the afternoon and, and get to work so we could get an experience or understand what it felt like working with American companies or American clients on European time zones. So the very, very long answer to your very short question <laughs> was that we, we arrived in May. Uh, the process with Portugal was maybe about four months total from start to finish. And the move itself was laborious. It was arduous, as uh. you might expect. But we made it and we're settled in and now we're about 10 months in and uh, it actually does finally feel like home. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's dive into to the scouting trip a little bit because I'm curious to know what neighborhoods did you check out and which ones did you like? Yeah. So so we we rented an Airbnb down in Chiadu, uh, which to this day is still my favorite neighborhood in the city. I, I love Chiadu and Bajualto. Um, so we, yeah, we walked around a little bit over there, but we have a, we have a, an active dog who needs, you know, a lot of space to, to roam and you're just not going to get any green space down there. So we kind of ruled those out right away. We explored Abalad. So right along Avenida Roma, uh, went up to Anjou, Xenohoyo, Arroyo, 
and all the way out to Belang and Stello and Ajuda. We we opted against going. Well, we went over to Marvila for like a couple of hours, but we sort of uh, once we got a feel for Bakhdadesh Soish and realized how kind of corporate and new and and kind of it it didn't have the personality that we were looking for. So sure, all the stuff north of the city on the river, we we sort of ruled out because it just wasn't the right fit. Uh, we really, really liked Avalad. It was interesting because the, the architecture here is markedly different from what you get in the States. Um, sure. you know, in a place like Denver, which is a, you know, a new ish city and everything's gleaming and glass and tall. And in, in neighborhoods like Avalad, it's very 60s, 70s and 80s facades on the building. So everything kind of looks a little humdrum, but knowing that inside, um, you know, the places are beautiful. But the whole area just had the vibe. It had the, uh, the foot traffic, the the people out and about, the the, the stores, the density of stores and 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 uh, cafes and pastry shops and whatnot that really spoke to us. Um, so we started looking around there, and you know, over over the course of looking for a place to live, realized it wasn't going to work. Um, okay, from a budget standpoint, uh, so we. You know, that was sort of disappointing. We really liked that a lot. We loved, loved Belang and loved Rostello, but both of them are, if, if Abelad is too expensive, then Belang is right. just a pipe dream. Um, yeah. So after we returned, once we got back to the States, we got back in touch with, with our attorney who was helping us you know, secure the lease. And she actually suggested that we go a little bit farther north into the neighborhood we're in now called Karnids. Um, so Karnid, Tilyairish, and Lubiyad, which are just on the north side of the city. And on the map, it looks like it's kind of far out. But, yeah. you know, realistically on the ground, it's a, a, a 20, maybe 25 minute metro uh, metro ride from here down to the river, down to Kaishtasutra. So it's actually, a, it's really convenient. It's up by the university. It's in between the two soccer stadiums. And she, you know, she owns a place up here. She's like, you're going to love it. So sure enough, we we needed the lease to to satisfy our visa requirements. Mm-hmm. We found a place in Karnit. And when we got here, we looked around and was like, oh, wow, she was she was right. It's the perfect mix of residential and city. There's enough stuff to do uh, where we don't get really bored. It's close enough to downtown where we can go out to, you know, the bars and the restaurants and whatnot downtown that everybody wants to go to and all the touristy places. Uh, but it's quiet enough where it's not like a party every night, uh, every night yeah. of the week. And you can actually sleep. You can have the windows open. You know, it's a, it's a really good balance and a really good mix. Well, you've been there for 10 months. Is it a place that you'll sign another contract for? Is it a place that you'll stay? Yeah. So so this apartment in particular, uh, our lease automatically renewed. So we're, we're here. Uh, we've signed on for a second year. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. So we're actively looking at other places in the same area that that might be a little bit cheaper that may offer a rent to own type type situation but we've also begun exploring the south side of the river knowing that long term you know it's it's a very american approach to real estate but we want to own we're we're just property owners and one of our our long term goals as a couple as a family is to build eventually build a, a portfolio of real estate. So we want to, we actually want to own some stuff. Okay. And it's a lot easier to own south of the river, um, you know, down into Almada and Costa Caprica and even all the way down to Setuo. 
than it is in this particular area or in Lisbon in general. So we're, we'll be here at least another six to nine months, probably you know another year in this particular apartment. And then after that, I'm not exactly sure where we're going to be or where we're going to go. Okay. So it was the original plan to move and, and start buying property after a year or two. Yeah. Uh, you know, we wanted to make sure it was a place that we would, that we would stay. Um, and even if it wasn't a place that we'd stay long-term, it was a place that we would want to come back to. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the original promise to all of our friends and family when, when we told them we were moving was, ah, we'll, we'll probably just go for a year or two, get it out of our system. And then, and then maybe we'll come back. And after about the first, after about three months here, like, do I really want to go back? And now that we're approaching a year, I still don't know if I want to go back. Uh, so the mentality has sort of shifted now from, hey, let's go for a year or two. Maybe we can find a property that we can buy. We can use it as a, as a rental down the road and just sort of build our nest egg to, hey, we're staying for a year or two because that's what our, our residency card allows. Maybe we should renew Good. and stay through uh, citizenship, get the passport, buy a place or two, and then figure out where we want to where we want to settle down and, and live the rest of our days. If you, Yeah, I think, uh, you know, something similar happened with me and Kaylee where we we moved over here, not even thinking about citizenship, but then actually when we whenever we had our residency appointment, so like the very first CEF appointment that we had to confirm residency, uh, people in our YouTube channel were asking us, are you going for citizenship? And we were like, we had, like, hadn't even thought about it. Literally just wanted to move to Europe to, to, to be back in Europe. It was our second time, uh, living here in Europe, not in Portugal, but in Europe. And we just were trying to get back And Portugal. Like you said, it was kind of like the path of least resistance. Uh, uh -huh. so we did that, but then you start to see, oh, wow. Okay. I can get citizenship after five years. This place is great. There's a, there's a lot of positive things about it, about the lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Is it possibly a place to settle down? Kaylee and I have not had that conversation yet. But kudos for you guys uh, for for thinking about it now. Yeah, we we made the promise to one another that we wouldn't actually make a decision of any sort until after we've hit the one year mark. But those sure. conversations, we've already started those conversations. You know, at the eight, at the seven and eight month mark. So we're yeah, you know, who's counting? We haven't officially decided anything, but we've officially decided. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay, so. Uh, taking a look at when you had your confirmation, when was that? So you moved in, in May, but when did you have your confirmation? How long was that yeah. waiting period? So the wait, our VFS appointment in San Francisco was in mid February and okay. we were notified, um, in April, it was eight weeks to the day, uh, uh -huh. that we were notified that we were approved and we opted uh, we opted to keep our passports after mm -hmm. after the appointments. We had to overnight our passports to San Francisco, and they overnighted them right back. So we we left Denver on May fourth. We had received our visas in the mail like April twenty eighth or April twenty ninth or something like razor thin margin. We were you know almost it was, we were up against it. Yeah. So how long was your waiting period from when you moved in May? to when you were confirmed by Seth here in Portugal. Oh, 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 for, for our, our Seth appointment, our residency appointment. Yeah. Yep. Um, we went through our residency appointment in August, uh, the okay. early, the middle part of August. So it was four months pretty much on the dot, which I think, um, uh, you know, back it's then not shocking. was, 
yeah, back then is what they had promised. Now yeah. I think I, I've heard stories that they're like seven, eight, nine months down the road. So everybody's getting extended. But yeah, for us, it was a, a four month wait. And uh, then they, they told us that our cards would come in the mail uh, in about four to five weeks and it arrived in two and a half. Yeah. Okay. That's a really similar story to us in terms of how quick we ended up receiving our cards. So that's good. It's very good. And how was, how was the process? Were you nervous when you had to go in for, for that appointment? Yeah. I mean, you know, anytime you're where you live hangs in the balance, Uh you know, are, are we going to be allowed to stay here? was the only thought that kept crossing my mind. So yeah, we were nervous, but we were also pretty confident because, you know, even going back to our VFS uh, appointment in in the States, we went through the checklist and just made sure that everything was in order. So for our Seth appointment, we did basically the same thing. We asked a bunch of uh, a bunch of other expats in the area that we had talked to and, you know, a few groups. We we asked our our attorney, we asked the local tour guide who is a neighbor of ours, who's become a friend of ours. So we started gathering as much information as we could just to kind of figure out what we should expect. And then, mm-hmm. you know, went right down the list, organizing all of our information and we showed up and it was, it was a nothing appointment. The lady was super nice, super friendly, Same. just went through stamping everything, asking questions just to confirm and then welcomed us to the country. Like, man, this is, this is not at all what I was expecting. That was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we had a really similar experience and I have heard of some people having maybe more difficult times or more challenging times at their appointments, but we haven't experienced that ourselves and it sounds like you, you didn't either. So that's, that's great. Now, I'm really curious about when, when you all arrived in May up until August, did you run into any issues where, because you didn't have your residency permit yet, that there were some problems or some things maybe that you couldn't set up because you didn't have that uh, residency? The only thing that really got in the way or that really had to take a backseat was trying to figure out what the tax and the taxation picture was going to look like. And we, and honestly, we still don't have clarity about whether or not we have to file yet. Everything else we were able to accomplish, but I I think the biggest issue was when we first arrived, not having a phone number or not having an active phone because you need a Portuguese phone number for literally everything. Yeah. Um, so we, I, I had hired a personal assistant service on the ground here before we moved to set up our utilities, to get us set up with, with our phone and internet and have it all installed and you know, get some groceries and such for when we arrived, because we arrived to a completely barren apartment. There, there was a, uh, an air mattress and, and like a plunger and that was about it. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we actually, we technically had the phone number. We didn't realize that we had the SIM cards somewhere in the apartment until like three weeks later. So we were struggling to get furniture, to get anything set up, to you know, any type of appointment. Everything depended more on the phone number than it did on the residency card. The residency card, I think, may have come in handy. So we, we purchased a car a couple of months ago. So we made okay. it about six months before we decided that we wanted to buy a car. I don't know what difficulty we may or may not have had in buying the car without the residency card, I think that probably would have been the biggest issue. Um, <laughs> but when we got here, our biggest problem was just not having the phone set up. So we didn't know how to order. it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they would have just needed an, a NIF for, for buying the car. Possibly. But maybe the registration of it. Yeah. 
maybe the registration of it, like the tying it to a license, a port, like a European, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, we, we didn't either. Um, we don't have a cart, so I don't have to, <laughs> yeah, I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Okay, so I'm curious about this, uh, this personal assistant, the service that you, you hired. Mm-hmm. Paco, Paco Services. Yep. Paco Services, yeah. Okay, can you tell us about it? Yeah, it was, um, it started by a, Br- a British expat that she's okay. been here a couple of years, and when she first arrived, had all the same problems that, that, the rest of us face the language is really hard we don't speak much of it yet navigating simple things like setting up utilities or going grocery shopping and so she came up with the service she the more locals she met she figured hey if i'm having these issues other people are going to have these issues too okay here's a business that i can start so she has hired a handful of truly bilingual locals they're all you know in their 20s and 30s you know speak Great English and obviously native Portuguese. And they're available for on an hourly rate or a package of hours to do basically whatever it is that you need done to help get you settled in. So awesome. we, we asked them, we gave them, you know, the authority to set up our, our utilities, get the phone and internet hooked up. We gave, we authorized them to, to pick up the keys, come into the apartment, uh, accept some deliveries for food and some other household stuff. And they met us at the front door when we landed with our keys, showed us to the apartment. And, and I still maintain contact with a couple of them, even though we're not using the services anymore now that we're settled in, I still mm-hmm. maintain contact with a couple of them there because they're just good people and, and they're you know, people I want to talk to and I want to nice. maintain communication with. Nice. What are, what are the packages like? like? What are the hourly rates or the package costs? I think it averages out to about 25 bucks an hour. So it's totally reasonable, okay. especially when you think about how much stress moving is. Um, <laughs> it seems overwhelming. And then you actually do it and you realize, oh my God, I completely underestimated how stressful this is going to be. 25 bucks an hour is a pittance, is an absolute bargain for the amount of peace or for the peace of mind that you get knowing that, you know, after an eight, 12, 14 hour trip, uh-huh. You get to show up to an apartment. At least you're going to have an air mattress. You might have some food and some pots and pans already set up for you. Uh, you, you can connect to the internet and, and all that and start to decompress. Without that service, I don't know. It probably would have taken us a couple of weeks to get everything set up. Yep. And we would have just been absolutely miserable. Yeah. There's two things that I think of when I think of services like this. Like there's there's two things that really popped to mind. One is like, how much do I value my personal time, Right. So like, can I earn more per hour than whatever the service costs me? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the the other thing is, is, is this a one-time thing or is this a thing that I'm going to have to do on a weekly basis that I'm probably going to need to learn how to do? And I should just learn how to do it myself so that I can then do it on a, on a weekly basis. So a lot of the things that people have to do when they first arrive are those one-time things. So it's like, what is the Mm -hmm. point in trying to, to take a steep learning curve and do it yourself rather than paying 25 bucks to, to get a local to do it. And yeah, it makes sense. It makes a yeah. lot of sense. So, so yeah. So our package, I think it was, yeah, they, they obviously require a minimum order. So I think ours was like 10 hours. So it was 250 euro for all of this. And, and their assistant would spend the time on the phone with, with the electric company time on the phone with the, with the phone company or with the internet company. So all of that got factored in because that's time that I would have had to spend sitting on hold, listening yeah. to 
uh, Portuguese language message that I didn't understand. Yeah. Uh, and then fumbling my way through, hoping that somebody spoke enough English to get us set up. Right. Right. Exactly. That's exactly it. Okay. So the listener that wants a car would be very upset if I didn't talk to you about buying a car. So let's do that. Okay. How did you kind of go through the process of buying a car? Did you talk to some, some local friends about what, like where to buy, or did you just start driving by places or make a Google search? What did you do? It was a little bit of everything because, okay. uh, so we, we started our search on Stan virtual and trying to think of what the other, what the other main site was mostly Stan virtual. Cause that's what we were told in some of the expat groups. That's where everybody should look. Okay. Uh, one thing that we realized is that unlike in the States where you have cars.com and you have all these aggregator sites, and it's the same thing with, with real estate as we're finding Yep. is that there isn't like a central, there's not a central internet hub of this information. So the car, the cars that you see on, on stand virtual, they may not be there anymore. Uh -huh. Um, it's not the entirety of the, uh, of the inventory. So a lot of it, we would, we would just be riding by someplace and there's a car dealer, take down the name. Let's get online. When we get home, we'll send them an email. So we did a lot of WhatsApping, a lot of email messaging, uh, with these dealers saying, Hey, I saw this car on your site. Is it available? And what else do you have? with these parameters. Uh, both of us can drive a stick. Um, this is, this is, I think something that would be germane to a lot of American listeners. For sure. We can both drive a stick. I patently refused. I, I didn't want to have to in a new city with a lot of hills and, you know, in a, a driving culture that I'm not familiar with. So we wanted an automatic, which made the, it made the search a lot more difficult. Yeah. You know, we, we found ourselves driving by or riding by every dealer in the area. Anytime we saw a dealer, okay, let's put them on the list and, and start, uh, start looking on their website while also pinging people on stand virtual. So it was a really involved, a really involved process because you have some larger dealerships, but nothing quite like those gigantic auto malls that you might find in big American cities where you can go to one place and you can hit, you know, eight, 10 different brands. Here it's you now got a dealer that does maybe one or two brands and then their their sister dealership is down the street with a couple of other brands. So it's it's just different. It's um it's a lot more legwork, it's a lot more analog than I think what most people are are used to. What were some of the costs like and were you looking at buying new or used? So another evolution of our thinking. We we <laughs> came over thinking, let's get an electric car. We just want an electric. You know, we're sure. we're ready for electric. Yep. Everything that we'd heard that the the electric infrastructure in Portugal was catching up, it was it was there. What we found was that the range on these EVs just couldn't get us to anywhere that we wanted. Like they were they would max out for our budget. These EVs would max out at like two hundred kilometers for their for their maximum range, which doesn't get us anywhere that we wanted to travel to. So the new versus used is a, is an interesting concept because used cars are very Cars in general are very expensive here. Used cars are very, yeah. very expensive. But the new cars that are only marginally more expensive than a used often have wait times for delivery of six, nine months, 12 months, 18 months. And you know, when we decided we wanted a car, that it was time to buy a car, we wanted the car then rather than six or nine months from now. Sure. So that kind of eliminated the idea of buying new altogether because we there's no telling what the delivery timelines 
particularly for you know the types of the type of vehicle that we wanted, which is you know small with uh, you know we we either wanted a hybrid or uh, a diesel with you know ridiculously good gas mileage, you know a, an automatic, something that was kind of sporty and fun to drive. You know we're 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 very picky consumers, and then you've got the the market realities on the ground that you know the the amount of inventory available just isn't much. Uh-huh. So you're going to spend a lot of time searching for it. Then because there's such little supply, the prices are going to be inflated at the same time that, you know, global inflation was really kicking up and taking off. So it, it probably added, I'd say a few thousand dollars to, to our ultimate purchase price. Um, simply that confluence of factors. So it is not, it's not an easy process to buy a car. It's certainly not a cheap process to buy a car. We'd considered going to Germany or going over to Spain or France, buying one there and bringing it back, but yeah. then read up on on the, the import taxes and, and all sorts of additional expenses imposed by the Portuguese government that may or may not align really well with EU law. Right. They do it anyway. Right, right, um, right. So we opted for, we opted for simplicity yeah. and we were willing to, you know, eat a couple thousand dollars extra if we needed to to get what we wanted so we ended up just finding a uh, finding a car at a at a dealership 45 minutes from here they, and paid it in cash and they delivered it to the house oh okay do they help with the registration like to to get a license plate yeah. and all of that okay yeah so so the matriculation i think is what they call it here that was all handled by the dealer as part of the as part of the process it may or may not have caused, like, I, I, I think it's going to differ from dealer to dealer whether or not that is a, an added service or not. I think our dealer just included it at no cost just to, mm-hmm. just to get the car off the lot. So, um, so we, yeah, that was really helpful to have that in our name and, and fully registered with, uh, you know, with everybody that it needs to be registered with when we took possession. For sure. Okay. So let, let's kind of hop out of that topic and let's just talk about what you do on okay. a on a daily basis living in Lisbon. What is life like yeah. for for you and your wife? Life is <laughs> life is good, man. It's um it's a markedly different living experience. So I I own a marketing agency that I run, uh, you know that I run from here. My staff is pretty much all in the U.S. We've got some freelancers around the world, but. Most of our clients are in the U.S. My staff is all in the U.S. And so I sort of shifted my, my work schedule to encompass more U.S. hours. So I, I typically start work you know, around 2, 2.30 in the afternoon here. I'll work you know, anywhere till 7.30 or 10 o'clock, depending on the day and depending on what's going on. All of that leaves me the entire morning and part of the afternoon to do other stuff. So my my life has been completely inverted from how it was in the U.S., where I was working, you know, eight eight thirty to four or five every day, and then after that, you go off and do you know, run your errands or go to the gym or do whatever. You're doing. Here, it's exactly the opposite. Where I wake up, I, I haven't set an I think I've set an alarm maybe three or four times since we got here, and two of those were to catch flights. So, like on a day to day basis, I just don't use an alarm clock, which is a revelation, man. I, if you can, if you can swing it, I highly recommend it for everyone because you start off your day with no stress of that annoying buzzing in your ear. Yeah. So we'll wake up kind of whenever we wake up, we'll take the dog out. We'll, um, either go 
to one of the cafes for a tushta mishta and a, and a cafe, or we'll just make breakfast here. We'll let that digest. We'll head off to the gym or out for another long walk with the dog, come back, shower up, have some lunch and get ready for the work day. Okay. You know, some days when we're not going to the gym, we'll take care of grocery shopping. We'll take care of, you know, we'll go to the mall and get some clothes shopping. Whatever errands we need to do, we're able to do in the middle of the day rather than rushing around at night after mm. you've had a full work day. Yeah. Well, to the, to the listener, you're, you're missing Scott smiling from ear to ear uh, as he describes his life in Lisbon right now. <laughs> Tell us what a toshtamishta is. Toshtamishta, <laughs> it, it's a grilled ham and cheese sandwich. And yeah. on the surface, when you just hear the words, like, oh, that's, that's nothing. Like, why are you going gaga? Toshtamishta sounds way better than ham and cheese sandwich, right? Right, right. Uh, but the, the bread here, so if anybody has not had Portuguese bread yet, um, get ready because it is... It's incredible. The bread culture here is fabulous. And so you imagine this amazing Portuguese bread and they put it in a panini press after they brush it with butter and they'll throw some oregano or some other spices in with it. And they'll throw some, uh, some of their prosciutto, their ham and their tecadnostra or uh, whatever cheese they opt for. And it just comes out this huge, melty, buttery, crusty sandwich that costs like a euro 50. Uh, and you pair that up with, you know, with any number of different coffee options and you yep. get yourself a nice little breakfast for, you know, two or three bucks. It's great. Nice. <laughs> now, do you drink, do you drink a, a bico there? A bica. Cause up here in the North, we call it a cymbalino. Yeah. So down here, they'll call it, some places we'll call it a bica. Bica. Okay. And a bica is, a, a bica is Shot exclusive of to Lisbon. Yep. Um, I've used it in other places like Setubal and they just and down the Algarve and they just kind of looked at me like, so you want a coffee? Yeah, I want a cafe. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So my wife loves Café Abatanado, which is uh -huh. basically an Americano, right? It's coffee with a lot of hot water. Yep. Uh, I have graduated from regular espresso to double espresso. <laughs> okay. Espresso duplo. Because um, I, I, we're both big coffee drinkers. The coffee here is fantastic. Um, the co it is a coffee culture though. It's, I remember over the summer, we had a couple of days where it was just blazing, blazing hot. And all I wanted to do was get back to the apartment, turn on the air conditioner, sit in front of the fan. And as I'm walking back, see all these old guys out at a cafe street corner, <laughs> sipping on, sipping on Bika, you know, sipping on, on, on hot coffee. Yeah. But yeah, so we'll stop in periodically, just grab a Bika. Uh, grabbing a batonado, grab a duplo, whatever, whatever we feel at the moment. And, you know, it's not uncommon to have two or three of them in the sitting and then come back a few hours later and have a couple more. And about how much do you pay for a double? A doubles, maybe a euro 25 at, okay. at, at the absolute max. Mm -hmm. Uh, the place that we go, we have a, we have a cafe downstairs from our, from our flat. I think it's 90 cents for a double. For a double. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Jeez, that's great. That's great. Just don't order a bica up here. No. Cymbalino <laughs> no. up here, bica down in the south, down in down in uh in Lisbon. Cool. Very cool. Do you have the same the same thing with with beers too? Because down here the big one is a Caneca and a small one is an Imperial. Is it it's the, same the same up in Porto or okay. it's the same up here. Oh. It's the same up here. Yeah. I think um Finu gets used a lot up here. 
I don't know if Finu gets used as yeah. much in Lisbon. Um, I haven't heard it. Finu is even smaller. It's like a 20 centiliter oh. beer, I believe, is the difference. Whereas an Imperial... <laughs> it's like a shot of beer. Yeah. Imperial. <laughs> it's like they put it in a thimble. Um, Imperial is, <laughs> I think, 33 centiliters. And then a Kaneka can be anywhere between 40 and 50. It should be 50, right? Let's be yeah. honest. It should be 50. I, exactly. Yeah. It absolutely should be 50. Okay. So I was going to say, like, we were, we were going to graduate from like our morning and, and, and kind of late morning beverage to what are we drinking, you know, in the afternoon, but we've already jumped to beer. So let's talk about beer. Are you a Sagrush or Super Bach fan? I'm a Super Bach guy. There we go. Uh, but the Super the Super Bach Stout. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The regular Super Bach, the regular Sagrush, they're okay, I guess. They're, they're drinkable. Sure. They're far better than like the Miller Lite, Bud Lights of the world. That's how I feel. But it's their version That's of right. It. But the, the Superbox Stout is a legitimately decent, drinkable, dark beer. They call it a stout. It's more of a, a Poor, black lager. Yeah, so black lager. You know, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the mouthfeel is a little bit different, but it tastes good. And it's you know super low calorie and had, like the, the nutritional value on it is nothing. It's not a craft beer, um, but it's it definitely serves its purpose. Um, we actually, as much as, much as we love beer, because we're beer people, we're from Colorado, it is... Like beer is what we do there. Yeah. We're in Portugal and wine is what they do here. That's right. So we drink just like everybody else an inordinate amount of wine yeah. uh, because it's all good. It's all extremely you affordable. You mean your fair share of wine. You drink your fair share of wine. We do. We, we're, we're fitting in nicely. <laughs> yeah. I, I read a study. There was some survey out that uh, the average Portuguese, I think, drinks like three cups of wine a day. Higher wine consumption than anyone really? on per capita than anyone in Europe and maybe on the planet. And like, you know, if you want to fit in, then you gotta, then you have to really fit in. So we're doing our part. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking our fair, our fair share <laughs> of wine. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. So let's talk about beer. I'm, okay. I'm assuming that you've explored the, uh, the craft beer scene we in, have. in Portugal. We have. Um, what do you think? Uh, so it's interesting because it's very, very small. Um, but there's a lot of quality there. There are a handful of breweries in and around Lisbon in particular. Uh, like our favorite brewery is called Amo Brewing. And it's owned by a Canadian Portuguese woman um, who started as a home brewer. And then she moved over here and kept home brewing and realized that she could open a brewery. And I would put her beer up in any American brewery. I think, I think a lot of her beer would stand up wow. quality-wise to what we expect in, you know, in a craft brewery in the U.S. Um, same thing with Oitava Colina. They have a couple of beers that are really, really good. Musa, uh, which I think is up by you guys, actually. Uh, I feel like Musa is brewed maybe in, in Porto. Um, they have a couple we of really we good... Have, we have a Musa, but um, I think that the, the brewery's down, is it down, down in here? Lisbon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yep. the, so there's, there are, you know, coming from a place like Denver where we have literally 150 breweries in the city proper to a place where yeah. there are like, you know, 20 breweries in the entire country here. Uh, you know, obviously the selection <laughs> is, is much, much less. Um, you know, so it's not as easy as bouncing down to the corner and going from one brewery to the next. Uh, but if you know where to look, if you know what you like, um, you know, place like Dusch Korbush would be really, really good for yeah. a lot of people who love IPAs. Amu is good for people like me who prefer maltier 
uh, darker beers on, um, you know, with some interesting twists. So the beer is there. The, the high quality beer is there if you know where to look and if you're willing to go out and find it. And what, what's that scene like in terms of like, what's the culture like the people that are drinking craft beers, are you noticing that it's a lot of foreigners or is, are the Portuguese people getting into it? What are you it, saying? It's a lot of foreigners with some Portuguese mixed in. It's a growing number of Portuguese, I think that are, that are starting to partake. Um, I think some of that though also comes from the staff. So at least at the breweries that we frequent, Regardless of where the owner is from, the staff is usually local or or some sort of hybrid local where, you know, maybe it's a, a, a British person who grew up in Portugal. Um, so they're fully bilingual. So you, you get a lot of that Portuguese, like the younger Portuguese crowd working there. They probably tell their friends, hey, I'm working at this brewery. The beer is really good. You should come down. And so you start getting... These, these smaller gatherings of Portuguese natives, Portuguese locals coming down. But by and large, it's still a predominantly immigrant expat group, but it's not all Americans because I think there are what, like 7,000 Americans in the entire country. So that's right. You know, you'll get a yeah. lot of Brits and a lot of French and some Spaniards and, and uh, you know, everywhere from everywhere in Europe and a, a handful from, uh, from Asia. And then the Americans show up and say, Hey, we know beer. So, Let's, uh, let's go to this brewery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Well, I mean, it looks like you love life in Lisbon. Yeah. And, and that's just, that's awesome. So I'm, I'm super happy for you that you've, uh, you've really been finding your way there and you've done it in a, a really quick amount of time, to be honest. I, I think so. Yeah, we, we're, we're planners. Uh, well, my wife is a planner. I, I, I shouldn't lie. I don't like planning anything. I work through things in my mind with, you know, plan a through z but never actually write any of them down so it's kind of seat in my pants but we had a pretty good idea of what we wanted to accomplish what we wanted life to look like here before we even got here so that made it a little bit uh-huh. easier to to put a plan together once we were on the ground uh you know the order of operations what do we have to do first legally to make sure that we can stay and then once we're once yep. we're certain and comfortable that we're going to be allowed to stay how do we build the lifestyle? Um, so it was, you know, it's, it's a process. And we spent the first three and a half weeks here just furnishing our place, going to Ikea yeah. multiple times and trying to find other, other stores. So I can imagine, you know, for people like me who are not particularly patient, it's, it's a stressful, it's a stressful thing. It's, um, you have to keep in mind that everything is a process here. The customer service is different. The customer service experience is different here. And so you are forced right. to learn patience from the minute you land in a way that you probably never thought you would, you would have to learn uh, you know, at any point in your life. No, that's exactly right. Well, at Expats Everywhere, we believe that living abroad transforms lives. How has living abroad transformed your life? Wow, that's a great question. What's really interesting to me is the change in perspective, just hanging around Portuguese and, and others not from the U.S. I think I've earned, or I think we've both, my wife and I have both developed a, uh, maybe a more complete global perspective on culture and what, and what happens around the world. So now that we're 10 months removed from living in the U.S., we still follow U.S. news. But waking up each day 
just seeing what's going on over there rather than all around me. You know, it, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. I, I remember being in that, but now I don't have to actually live through any. I think it's just given me a much different perspective on other ways of living a happy life that you probably don't get when you're when you're buried or inundated in like the daily crush of American life because the you know the pace here is much much slower you have time to decompress you have time to relax you have time to kind of do whatever you want here in a way that you don't always have or usually have um, in a hustle and bustle lifestyle like what you'd have back back in the states uh, so it's just it's made for a more complete more maybe more honest worldview and it's dropped my stress levels probably by at least half i would say that's awesome that is awesome well if people want to get in touch with you yeah. how can they reach you best way to do it is on linkedin i am a linkedin power user uh because i'm a business guy uh so they can just search my name i'm the bald guy with you know with the good looking photo on linkedin just shoot me a message or a connection request and i'm happy to talk about moving i'm happy to talk about business whatever the case may be scott thank you so much for meeting with expats everywhere today thanks for having me so listener we know that you are preparing to move to portugal we did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the digital nomad visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the digital nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts. 